You've been a busy little journalist, haven't you? Yes, I have. <laughs> You've got a couple of big features in the Sydney Morning Herald and, and Domain and online. Yep. And stuff that's quite interesting. Well, obviously it's oh, interesting. Surely it's always interesting. Stuff that's uh, specifically interesting to people who live in apartments. Yep. You've been talking about people selling their airspace over their apartment blocks and other bits. You've been talking about people saving shed loads of money mm. on electricity. Mm. And meanwhile, Mr. Matthew Keane has been telling us how he's going to fix the whole embedded network thing. Excellent. So uh, lots to talk about. Better get on with it. I'm Jimmy Thompson. I write the flat chat column for the Australian Financial Review. And I'm Sue Williams, and I write about property for domain. And this is the Flat Chat Wrap. Airspace, Sue. I mean, we all hear all the time people explaining to us, those of us who live in apartments, that we only own the airspace that is contained within the walls and we don't own the walls, but some mm. of the walls we do own. And <laughs> Anyway, this is, dif- this is different airspace. This is. This is the space on top of your building, above your building. All right. And um, that's owned by the owners' corporation, usually, and it's come into stark relief just more recently, because we've got lots and lots of older buildings around the country, right. which are kind of quite small, maybe three or four levels high. Yep. And they need a lot of maintenance. Maybe they don't have very much money in their sinking funds to, to do that maintenance. But a lot of people now are looking at selling off their airspace. And that means building, perhaps building a couple of penthouses on the top of the building or right. building a few more levels up, yep. you know, in areas where they're allowed to. Yeah. And maybe selling those off to other people to fund all the maintenance the building needs and you know right. maybe put a bit of extra money into the sinking fund as well. But you discovered that some developers are pre-selling their airspace, is that right? That's right. I've never come across this before, but I've discovered a couple of um, developers in Victoria. I haven't discovered it in New South Wales yet, but it probably happens here as well. When they're building an apartment building, they maybe maybe they're going to build it nine levels high, and then they're saying to people, "Okay, does anybody here want to buy the ninth level?" And they buy the right to build something on top of this building. So they actually sell off the airspace themselves for extra money before the owners' corporation comes into existence. Wow. So then I I talked to somebody who bought some airspace from a building a few years ago now, and she's planning to build a couple of penthouses on top of this building. And I said to her, well, what do the regular apartment owners think, you know, down below? And she said, oh, well, they they knew it was always in place, so they don't have any objection. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what they'll be thinking, really. Mm. That's astonishing. It just seems there are so many ways for developers to make money from buildings quite apart from selling off the apartments. (laughs) Well, in this very building, there was an apartment, a little one-bedroom apartment that came with the rights for the side of the building, the whole of the the lower floor, the the podium, the side of that to carry advertising. That's right, big signage. So it's going to have huge signage that you'd be able to see for miles. And then along came the Sydney Olympics and the City of Sydney said, no. You can't, do, <laughs> you that. can't yeah. do that. Yeah. Otherwise, I mean, it would it would be there. There'd be yeah. yeah. And imagine, you know, I, developers can be incredibly enterprising. Really, <laughs> I mean, who would have thought of keeping hanging on to 
one little apartment and attaching signage rights. Mm. Because obviously there's lots of ways that developers can make money from buildings after they're built. I mean, yep. we, we know about management rights, for instance, in Queensland. We've, we've covered that, I think, probably last week. There's also some of them have, have sold off air rights if they've been able to for um, telephone communications yep. towers, those yep. kind of things on the top of buildings. Although they don't have much choice in that because the telecommunications laws say that the the providers can install these towers mm. but they still have to pay for the, the mm. but you know there's a building just down the road from us they, they when they built it they sold the signage rights on the roof to the avis car rentals yeah who at that time had an office on the ground floor but everybody now knows that as the avis building that's right. which is not its name no it's got a very i think it's got quite a nice name really yeah. but nobody ever knows that name anymore pleasant towers <laughs> And I don't think Avis is there anymore. No, they're not. So it doesn't, you know, it doesn't make any sense. But well, it's just as well they didn't sell it to the other car rental place across the road whose slogan is no birds. All right. (laughs) No birds building. How weird. Mm. Yes, very strange. But going back to airspace, so selling off airspace can be, can be a really good thing. I mean, the poster child for that is Sky Tamarama, which as it's now known, it used to be the old Glenview Tamarama. Really old building, um, kind of quite brutalist on the top of a hillside. You can see it. it's got fantastic views yeah, over yeah. Tamarama and over the ocean and the eastern beaches. And they've, they've built a couple of penthouses on the top floor. And with the money that they expect to get from those, they've renovated the whole building. It's kind yeah. of completely refurbished. They did that by getting out a, a strata loan, I think from Lanox, who's one of yep. our sponsors. Yep, indeed. And they paid for it with that. But the two penthouses are now up for sale for twenty million each. Wow! So that will enable them to pay most of the, the, most loan, of the back. loan back. And yeah. they've got a, a, a brand solid, new building. Yeah, yeah. With beautiful balconies, fantastic kind of wavy roof there that's, that follows the line of the ocean. Yeah, it's really. You know the best thing about that building? The views. Being in that building means you can't see that building. <laughs> Well, that used to be the case, but I mean, now it's it's mm. a really kind of quite a nice la- mm. landmark. To me, it looks like a monument to brown paper bags full of used banknotes. Oh, that's harsh. <laughs> from the from the past, I hasten mm, to add. Absolutely, but it's interesting with airspace because a lot of you know it depends very much the area that you're in whether your the local council allows you to build up. Yeah. And lots of places are selling instead if they if they're not allowed to build up, they're kind of looking for other spaces within their within their apartment building to sell right. off to to maybe make a new apartment or to build new car parking if they can excavate underneath the building, that kind of thing as well. Potentially it's a, it's a huge area really. And one of the things in your story that uh, surprised me I'd never heard of this before, was a building or the developer buying the airspace above the next door building. Yes. How, how, why? (laughs) Why would they do that? Well, a couple of reasons, really. One is it means that if they're, if they're perhaps building a building and next door there's a lower building, they might look at that building and think, oh no, that somebody might build up and then all our residents are going to lose these fabulous views that we're selling the, the, the apartments on. Right. So they might buy the airspace to safeguard the views from their apartments. So therefore, you, they can usually sell them for more because they're going to have great views. Well, yeah, they're not going to do it for free. The developers are not going to buy the airspace and not expect to get money back from the people who buy the apartments. That's right. I mean, Because there was that famous case down in uh, Chinatown in Sydney where people bought into an apartment block, and there was one up in the North Shore as well, 
people bought into an apartment block and they were assured by the developers that you know they owned the land in front of it and they they would never be built out and then they as soon were as built they were out sold, yeah they built yeah. yeah and that happens and they were taken to court and and uh, basically the land and environment court said yeah buyer beware mm, you yeah. should have got written guarantees rather than verbal promises yeah, sure. absolutely yeah but um an- another building in in Victoria bought the next door um, air rights so that they could actually cantilever balconies on that building side over the building into their the other building's airspace as well, which was kind of quite interesting too. Interesting and a bit creepy, I think. <laughs> I don't well, know. I just feel that, like yeah. I, I just feel like if you, you would feel like the building next door was kind of leaning over you all the time. <laughs> well, it doesn't really look like that in the photos because the the building next door is quite low. And the, the balconies don't come out too far. Right. But certainly if that building next door was going to build on their roof and carry on building up on the same height as the new yep. building, they certainly would have been, wouldn't have been able to have balconies there because they would have been straight onto a, a brick wall. Right. Mm. So it's a, a really interesting area that uh, I've never really thought about. But it does add to the whole thing of developers doing deals that they turn up at your first AGM and and say the magic words, oh, it's just standard practice, and to get owners to vote in favour of contracts that they haven't any idea what they contain and what they mean for the future, Mm. which brings us to the question of embedded networks. Mm. So we'll be talking about that after this. Embedded networks, Sue. Yeah. Are you going to explain what they are? For- well, they, they can be quite benign and uh, helpful things. It's basically when a developer builds a, as they have to do, they build an electrical system into their building, but they get it done for free or very cheaply by... So this is another way developers can profit from... Yep. A building as well. Yeah. Yep. yep. I thought I'd said that. So they allow the provider to install their network into a building. And then that network, especially in the case of uh, electricity or gas, they become the monopoly provider for everybody in the building. So, so pe- the provider pays the developer for the right to be able to do that? Well, they put the, the system in for free, usually. Right. Um, they may pay them as well. But, you know, at the very least, the developer is saving a lot of money. Yes. I mean, the worst case I've heard of was um, stormwater drain. Somebody who specialised in putting in the stormwater drain did a deal with a developer that they would put in the tank, the the tank that holds back the water when there's too much of it, on condition that the developer persuaded the owners' corporation to sign a contract for 99 years for maintenance of the filters, which would go up by 5% every year. Oh, Can goodness. you imagine now? That's a real cash cow. And when the that company uh, came to the, well, the developers came to the the first annual general meeting of the owners corporation, and they presented this as you know a fait accompli. Look, this is standard practice. This is happening, and people just go, well, people didn't know what stormwater drains were and how much their maintenance involved and what they would cost. And it was the strata manager who said you know, this is wrong, but they were risking that if they 
blew the whistle on that developer, they would never get another gig from that developer. Yeah. And a lot of the money that strata managers make is not from dealing with your annoying phone calls. It's setting up the systems for new buildings. There's a huge part of their business. Mm. So if they annoy a developer by turning up and saying, guys, this is really dodgy and you shouldn't be doing it, they're mm. cutting off their noses. Mm. So anyway, so the embedded network is anything that's built into the building, which might have been done for free, but in some ways it can be really helpful because owners can choose not to be part of that, but they might get benefits from lots of them being uh, customers of the same the same company. Mm. What the New South Wales State Treasurer and Environment Minister and other things, Matt Keane has announced recently, is there, first of all, they're going to put a cap on the energy prices that these embedded networks can charge. And then they're going to do an investigation to see if they are actually costing people more than they should. Mm. And and if they are, then they're going to make them accountable. Great. So they'd maybe refund them? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Look, they're, they're talking about um, doing research and, and looking into it. And they've got this thing called IPART, which I had to look up, mm. which is the Independent Pricing and Regulatory Tribunal. Mm. There you go. I didn't even know that. No. no. No, and one of these great press releases from New South Wales government where they start talking about IPART and they do love their acronyms and you mm. go, and, mm. I have no idea what you're talking about. Mm. But that's what it is. And so it's a tribunal that looks at pricing and price gouging and things like that. Mm. And they're getting, they're going to say to them, have a look at embedded networks because people, some people are benefiting and some people are being ripped off. And the people who are being ripped off We've got to find a way of stopping it. That's excellent news. Yeah. Mm. And it's one of these things that uh, <laughs> we've got an election, just in case you hadn't noticed, coming up. <laughs> and it's it's actually a new-ish thing. I was looking at the announcement they made a couple of weeks ago about electric vehicle mm. charging and how they're going to make it easier for people in Strata to install electric vehicle charging. But as somebody pointed out, well, you kind of already done that when you brought in the law that said any bylaws or, or, or necessary rule changes that were sustainable yeah, in terms of the environment only require a 50% majority. Mm. But I think the new thing is that if you apply to install uh, electric vehicle charging in your apartment block, it cannot unreasonably be refused. It sounds like a very minor <laughs> zooshing up of existing <laughs> regulation, yeah, sure. because, just to remind us that the regulation is there in the first place. Yeah, because I think EV charging at the moment is quite sexy, isn't it, really? Yeah. It's, it's, it's on everybody's minds. Yeah. So why not pounce on that for a few more votes, perhaps? And the Liberals are quite lucky in Matt Keane. He's so pro-environment. He really is. I mean, he's He's quite a dry uh, economics guy, but when it comes to the environment, his heart is really in the right place. Yeah. So, uh, which will come in handy when uh, they lose the election and he becomes the leader of the Liberal Party. Oh, do you think he is in Remember, line for that? Go and put your money on that right now. <laughs> oh, he, he's he's also ferociously ambitious. Mm. 
And, so, you know, if Parity loses the election, then, and his brothers come out of hiding, and, <laughs> and you know, it did occur to me today that the one person who's probably quite happy with all these scandals that are emerging would be Eleni Petinos, who's kind of been slipped off the headlines completely. Mm. Um, but, you know, if if they lose the election, it, traditionally the leader of the party quits. Yeah. And all the other contenders are leaving, you know, they're like, yeah. like uh, Victor Dominello would have been a, a mm. contender, you would think. Yeah. But how about another scenario? How about Matt Keane suddenly defects to the Labour Party? Because his environmental policies seem very much in line with those of Chris Minns in lots of ways. He he would be quite a home in that party. Yeah. Um, yeah, they wouldn't have him, though. Wouldn't they? No. He is economically quite right wing. Mm. Not not he's socially wet, economically dry. Mm. Or As- maybe they could just have the wet bit. <laughs> they could just say, look, well, you know, he'll still, you he'll still be he'll still be in parliament and he'll be able to support environmental policies that uh, are put up and they won't he will not get into all this silly um, we're going to object to anything you just put up. Just for the point, point just, purpose yeah. of it, yeah. Yeah, unlike the national leader of the Liberals who's mm. Uh, mm. who's uh, making a nuisance of himself just because he can and he sees yes. that as his job. Anyway, enough about politics, maybe. So the, the embedded networks are going to be given a hard look at and uh, and we will hear lots more policy. Oh, there's another policy out today about first home buyers and I've yeah. read it. I don't understand it. Oh, but they'll be able to ditch stamp duty for for the rest of their lives. I think that's the the message. Yeah, well, they'll pay something. They'll pay land tax instead of stamp duty. Yeah, but what all they're doing is not having to pay a lump sum every time they buy or sell a house. They're not getting away away with it. No. No, No. which is kind of the way it's being presented, (laughs) which is already in place anyway, more or less. It's just been extended a bit. So, again, another another, uh, piece of legislation that's been zooshed up for Mm. the election. Okay, Mm. when we come back, we're going to talk about kind of related – Buildings that are saving thousands of dollars by being very careful and smart about the way they use electricity and other forms of power. That's after this. And we're back. So you you wrote another feature in the past week, this time about buildings that are saving lots of money. Yeah, this started out as a story about net zero buildings because – now lots of apartment developers are building buildings and complexes which they hope will be net zero in terms of producing carbon. Um, they're all kind of very, very sustainable because really it's important now for developers to demonstrate their ESG credentials, their environmental, social and governance credentials right. in order to get institutional investors. Right. And for customers, the people who are going to buy their apartments, suddenly it's really important to have sustainable apartments you know, one, to help protect the environment, but two, so that their energy bills are going to be much lower. Mm. You know, we live in a time where our energy bills are going up hugely. Yep. So yep. it's a real selling point to have small energy bills. So I was 
kind of thinking about a story about all these new apartment developments which are going up now, which are promising very small energy bills. Right. And then we decided to extend the story to buildings which have have been retrospectively refitted with elements which will bring their energy bills down. Right. And so it was a really interesting story. It was looking across New South Wales and Victoria, Mm. and we found a fair few apartment buildings in both states, really, where this has been done. And I think one of the standouts was an apartment building in Alexandria, Zinc Apartments, where one of the residents there, you know, has become an expert on sustainability and he's overseen the installation of smart lighting, you know, mm-hmm. going from fluorescent to LED and, you know, kind of they only go on when you walk into a common area, that kind of thing, and also solar panels and looking at batteries as well um, and heat pumps for, for hot water rather mm. than electricity warming hot water. And his electric bill last month was $6.28. Wow. You know, when you've taken out the fixed fee, which right. is just incredible, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, yeah. I think I've been in the zinc building. I think they've got solar panels on the roof mm. and electric vehicle charging mm. um, throughout the, the building. Yeah. Um, and they've got one of these fancy systems that switches the – power around the building to mm. where it's needed most mm. and then utilizes the cheapest power that comes in. And it was built that way. It's an embedded network, but it's an example of an embedded network that actually does a good thing. It wasn't built that way. This was all added extras. It was a 2005 building, right. but now the, all this stuff has been put oh, really? on. Yeah, no. Yeah. So it's kind of quite an old building, but no, it's been refitted. Oh, wow. Mm. Well, there you go. Well, it yeah. looks very nice. Yeah, absolutely. And there's another building we looked at in um, Brunswick in Melbourne, and that was a Nightingale building, Nightingale Anstey. And that's also has, you know, it collects rainwater. It's kind of incredibly sustainable. It's got lots of solar and the rest is green power. And that's an embedded network. Right. So that's working really well for them. They have no gas and all their heating is hydroponic hot water powered by a centralised heat pump. I mean, it's fantastic. And and you've got about half a dozen of these examples of this in your story. Yeah, I have eight, actually. Eight? Yes. It's good to know. I mean, it's good because we hear a lot of these things in theory and you wonder, well, you know, what? how many of these are actually being followed through in buildings. Mm. And uh, look, it's quite simply, as you said, it makes the apartments more marketable. Mm. It makes the the and it's a gives it's a feel good feeling to be in a building, which you believe is more environmentally responsible. Absolutely, and a, and that a lot of people they're looking around, they're looking at bushfires, they're looking at floods, they're looking at these terrible things happening all over the world, and thinking you can't ignore the mm. climate change issue anymore. Mm. And if you can't ignore it, then you've got to do something about it. Sure. And in apartments, sometimes you feel a bit helpless. Like in a house, you can install your own solar panels and stuff. But in an apartment, if you all get together and agree, you can do amazing things. You know, yeah. it's, it's, we've got some great examples now of older buildings which have been retrofitted and are yeah. doing incredibly well. And I mean, that would be great, an energy bill of less than 500 a year, wouldn't it? But, you know, one of the things that comes up a lot, and I see it, is people apply a purely financial template to the calculations for things like you were discussing about motion-activated lighting. 
And I remember reading about a building where they they decided to go for low emission lighting and they said, well, that will pay for itself in three years. Mm. If we go for low emission lighting and motion activated lighting at the same time, then that blows out to 17 years because you're saving so much on the low emission lighting that the motion activated thing doesn't make such a big difference. Mm. One of the dumbest arguments I've ever heard, you can have both. Yeah. And you can have both because it helps the environment. Mm. But the truth is, when lots of people pose these kind of things, AGMs, yeah. um, the thing that gets it over the line the quickest is if you can prove that there's a financial advantage Absolutely. to people. Absolutely. And, I mean, and then the, the secondary advantage of not contributing so much to climate change yeah. is very much secondary. Yeah. But, you know, for an increasing number of people, and like young people are much more environmentally aware than older people, and younger people are moving into these buildings, and they will kind of gradually shift the thinking, I suppose. I think so, yeah. But the two coincide so closely, the financial yeah. and the yeah. and the moral, yeah. that, um, you know, they're only gaining in momentum all the time. Well, as we're heading towards, you know, the shutting down coal-fired power stations, and one of the reasons that has accelerated is because it's cheaper to have sustainable power. Mm. And that argument about the money, what you said about AGMs is so true. I mean, people write to the Flat Chat website all the time and they say, how can I persuade my neighbours to do something or to not do something? And I 90% of the time end up saying, tell them how much it'll cost. Mm, tell yeah. them how much it'll cost if they don't do this and they get taken to a tribunal and they have to defend something that they don't really care about. Mm. And that, I don't know how effective that is, but it seems to work. I don't, people stop writing to me, <laughs> which is usually a sign that the problem is solved. Yeah, great. Yeah. All right, Sue, so thank you so much. Thank you for writing all that stuff. And there'll be links to that on the uh, website, on the show notes that come with this, so people will be able to click on those links and read those stories and uh, find out even more about all this good stuff. Fantastic. All right, thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Bye. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the Flat Chat Wrap podcast. You'll find links to the stories and other references on our website, flatchat.com.au. And if you haven't already done so, you can subscribe to this podcast completely free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcatcher. Just search for Flat Chat Wrap with a W, click on subscribe, and you'll get this podcast every week without even trying. Thanks again. Talk to you again next week.